0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, when the end of November, or the beginning of December, rolls around each year, we start a new liturgical year. And we start off that liturgical year by considering the joyful mysteries of the rosary. And then we move on to the time of Lent, where we consider the sorrowful mysteries. And finally, we have the time of Easter, where we consider the... Glorious Mysteries of the Rosary. And that takes about six months. And after those six months are done, we've considered all the essential mysteries of our faith. We we have this long period of of between like 24 and 28 weeks that we call the time after Pentecost. But we're not really focusing on any particular mystery of the faith. But what the church does during this, this period of time, which will stretch up till, till the end of November this year, is she has a time of review, as it were. So we're not, we're not focusing on any one specific mystery, but um, the church is going to bring back various mysteries that we considered during those six months as, in order to remind us of them. And she does that by means of the feast that happened during this time. So, for for instance, we had the Feast of the Precious Blood this past Friday. And this is a reminder to us of of the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary, um, of of the fact that our Lord shed His blood for our redemption. Then, we have had, um, lately, this this past week as well, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, and we consider the, the spread of the Church after Pentecost. It's a reminder of the Joyful Mysteries of the Rosary. But... What I would like to focus upon today is a little review of the joyful mysteries, because the Church as well is wanting us to remind us of those during this time by two other feasts that have happened very recently. First of all, the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, and then secondly, the Feast of Yesterday, the Feast of the Visitation of Our Lady to St. Elizabeth. The reason why I wanted to talk about those two feasts and, and what they teach us, is, is because I think they have, they have much to instruct us about in light of this recent decision of the Supreme Court to strike down the 1973 abominable law of Roe versus Wade, which pretended to find in the US Constitution a right to uh, murder unborn children. And since that law was, was overturned, many women have been extremely upset they have made the claim, they claim that the rights uh, due to women have been taken away in, in this land. And as, as someone who, who disagrees, it's, it's kind of my duty to try to understand where they're coming from, to say to myself, okay, so, so what right is it that they claim has been taken away from them, and, and how is it? that this right has been taken away and effectively the right that these women are claiming is one of complete autonomy. Um, They they want to be uh, in a situation where whatever they want to do, they are, are given legal authority to accomplish even to the point where if they want to kill another person who happens to be a child in their womb, that the law would authorize them to do that. And that that autonomy is being taken away from them. They want to be completely free of any obligations that might be put upon them, whether it be um, by the one who created them, God, or uh, the obligations put upon them by their own human nature. Uh, by the fact that they are women and and women are mothers. the Women are upset that that God has made there to be a fundamental inequality uh, between the two genders, between uh, man and woman. And and this fundamental inequality comes from the fact that, that God has given to women the capacity to do something, and he's not given to men the capacity to do this thing. And what he's given women the capacity to do is to form the body of their own children in their womb, to carry that child in their womb and nourish that child from their own life during a period of nine months, and then to bring that child into this life afterwards, to to bear that child um, into this world after that period of nine months has expired. God's made them to be mothers. And he's not made men to be mothers. Men, men cannot be mothers. Women can be mothers. This is a fundamental um, distinction between men and women. And women are, these women are upset at that. They do not like um, this fact. They're angry that they have the capacity to do something that men do not have the capacity to do. They hate the fact that God has given them the power to be the bearers of the lives of their own children. In a sense, they they hate themselves, they hate what they are. So, in order to be free from this fact, they want the laws of their nation to make it legal for them to unmother themselves, to radically deny what they are by killing any children that might be conceived in their wombs. And so to, to make this logical, there's certain claims that they have to make. There's certain claims that would necessarily go with uh, the claim to have that right to unmother themselves, to denature themselves. First of all, they would have to make the claim that, that a woman's purpose and fulfillment is not in being a mother. Um, that, that, quite simply, women are, are not made to be mothers. They're they 're made for uh, basically to have their own autonomous purpose to, to, to do whatever, whatever they want secondly that that's the child that is conceived in their womb is not really human uh, that, that somehow until the moment when it comes out of the womb it 's not in fact, a human being. I mean, I think they would agree that murder is wrong, so they have to say that it's not really murder because it's not a human being that's inside of me. And then, as a consequence of that, that the child in the womb is, is not really separate, it's not a separate being from them. It's really part of their own body. It's not a different body from their body. It's really the same body as their body. And so what's in in play here is is whether the woman can do with what what she wants with her own body, Uh, not whether she can uh, tamper with the body of another because it's not really a different body from her own body. And then um, finally, of course, that that God really has no say on what women should or should not do with their bodies. That God is really not a player in um, what women are, or what women w- w- are allowed to, to be. And, and let me just say, I mean, that um, we, we would be in exact, exactly the same place um, if we were not given our precious Catholic faith. We, we too, would, would be having these sorts of perspectives uh, or positions on the the meaning of of women or the meaning of life if we were not instructed by the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Um, So we receive some very important truths from the Joyful Mysteries, from the stories of the conception and the birth of St. John the Baptist and from the conception and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that these Joyful Mysteries teach us? Um, first thing that, that teaches us, and these are, these are very, very basic things, but we have come to a point where we need to be taught these things. If we're not taught these things, as I say, we, too, might be disbelieving them, might be disbelieving the obvious or denying the obvious about what men and women are. The first thing that they teach us is the fact that God is involved in the conception of every single child. That God is an interested party in what women are and what women do when they bring forth a child into this world. You know, there are several times in Scripture where God predicts that a child will be born. This happens in the Old Testament, you know, with with Abraham. He tells Abraham, your wife Sarah is going to give birth to a child. Um, The mother of the prophet Samuel Anna. Anna is told that she's going to give birth to a son. She very much wants to have a son. She's not able to have a son, but but God promises to her, you will have a son, Samuel. In the New Testament, we, we have Our Lady is told she's going to conceive a son. Elizabeth, um, her, her husband Zachary, is told, your wife is going to conceive a son. This indicates to us that God has... Power over life. That, that he is an agent in the conception of children. Three of those births were miraculous. On, on two of the occasions, with, with Sarah, Abraham's wife, and with Elizabeth, Zachary's wife, they had both gone way past the time of when, when they could conceive children. They, they were past the, the years of, of bearing children. And so God had to intervene to, to, to miraculously restore to their bodies that capacity to have children. And then, of course, the conception of our Lord was miraculous in the sense that there was no man involved in the conception of our Lord. It was was just our lady. God made our lady to conceive our Lord um, just by the divine power overshadowing her. So, as I say, if God is manifesting in these miraculous conceptions that he is giving life in an extraordinary way to the womb of these women. He's also showing that he is in charge of the ordinary way in, in which children are conceived, uh, with a man and a woman coming together. And what this means is quite simply that, that whenever any child is conceived it's because god touches that mother that, that god at the moment of conception that god places a living soul into the matter that is in the mother and if if that is what happens at the moment of conception then god is an interested party in every single child in the, in the life of every single child and no woman can claim that she has total rights over what is happening in her body. But rather, she has to say, God has done this in me, and I must fulfill what He wants, because He is the master of this life that has been conceived in my womb. God is the one who gives life to children. He is the source of life. This is what these two mysteries Teach us, And so the woman has, does not have the right to do whatever she wants with the life that is inside of her. Because God the Father has given her the power to be a mother, and He has placed that life in her, each mother has the duty to cherish that child in her. Even if the child was not conceived... in in a way that was right, even if the child conceived in very terrible circumstances, such as the occasion of a rape. Still, it's a life that comes from God. God is an interested party. He has given that life to this mother for her to cherish it and bring it to term. And all great mothers in history have been so appreciative of God's goodness to them in giving them this power and sharing, as it were, his creative power with them. When St. Elizabeth conceives John the Baptist, she says, Thus has the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he hath had regard to take away my reproach among men. She, was, she felt so bad that she could not have children, and she rejoices that God has, has made this miracle to happen in her The second thing that we we must learn from from these joyful mysteries in in regards to um, the question of of abortion and and the rights of women and so on is that each child does have a life separate from the life of the mother while the child is in the womb. Um, This is a very beautiful aspect of the the mystery of of the visitation. When our Lord... Sorry, when Our Lady goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, something very extraordinary happens. Of course, Our Lady greets her cousin, St. Elizabeth, but there's another communication that goes on, and that is between the children in the wombs. There's a communication that goes on between Our Lady and St. Elizabeth, and there's a communication that goes on between the fetuses, the, the, the children that are in the two wombs. Of uh, Our Lady and, and St. Elizabeth. So, St. John Chrysostom, he, he has some very beautiful words on this, on this subject. He's talking about the leaping of St. John the Baptist in the womb of his mother. What is going on, what St. John the Baptist is expressing. He says, John is not born, but by leaping he speaks. He is yet unseen, and he gives warning. He is not yet able to cry, but by his acts he is heard. He draws not yet breath, but he preaches God. He sees not yet the light, but he makes known the sun. He has not come out of the womb, but he hastens to play the forerunner in the presence of the Lord. He cannot restrain himself. He rebels against the bounds set by nature and struggles to break out of the prison of the belly. His longing is to herald the coming Savior child in the womb is different from the mother. The child in the womb is acting separately from the mother. St. Elizabeth says, The babe leapt. Not I leapt, but the babe leapt in my womb. And if, if St. John the Baptist were able to speak, perhaps he would say something like this. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Not only the sins of the world but my sins, just now, he has taken away from me the original sin that was on my soul. And I am the first, but there will be many others from which he will take away original sin. So, our Lord is only a few days from his conception. He's only been conceived for a few days. And yet, he is acting in his mother's womb to purify St. John the Baptist in St. Elizabeth's womb and so manifesting that, that we have four lives here. We do not have two lives. As I say, this is, this is very obvious. This is a very obvious truth. That the life of the child is separate from the life of the mother, but it's being denied today. So my dear faithful, when, when our Lord, um, in John chapter 10, when he speaks of himself as the good shepherd, he says, I am come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly, we receive our life from God the Father at the moment we are conceived in the womb of our mother. God treasured your life because He gave it to you, and it was a blessing to you, it was a very great blessing to you, it was a very great blessing to me that, that our mothers also cherished our life because they bore us in their wombs for nine months, and they went through that painful process of delivering us out to this world But the the fact that that our life comes from God means that our life belongs to God. And we have a duty to live our life according to the terms that God has set for it. Um, We're not completely autonomous units. We're not existential islands who get to decide, I get to do whatever I want with, with my humanity. No, we must follow the life that God has given to us. And one of the terms is this fundamental inequality between man and woman, where, where God has given to women this, this glorious and incredible ability to bear new life within themselves, to form their own children in their wombs. And they, any, any, any woman who, who is the least bit of conscious of, of what that means, what a dignity that is for her, um, will, will naturally glory in it. It's the very essence of their feminine nature. Another thing that that we must understand, um, all of us must understand, uh, uh, the consequences that, that God is an interested party in every life, is the responsibility that belongs to us as rational human beings in the use of the regenerative power. If the crime of abortion exists today, It has its beginning in the sin of impurity because people do not want to use their sexual power in the way for which God designed it. They want to divorce the pleasures of the sexual power from the ability to bring forth new life. They do not want the bring forth new life. They do not want the um, capacity to have their own children, but they want all the pleasures associated with that. So, we, we have to use our human sexuality in a way that is intended by God. If we do not fall, if we are not to fall um, or be on the direction of, of supporting abortion in any way. So, my dear faithful, we, we, we have to seek to, to live our human lives um, according to God's plan. It, it is a madness for, for a woman um, not to want to be a woman. Um, to be something else. It's, it's a madness for a world to hate children and want to have all the pleasure that, that's involved in, in conceiving children but none of the responsibility in bringing them up. It, this is to reduce ourselves below the level of the animals. I want to invite all mothers to to seek to have the beautiful dispositions um, that Our Lady had. What did she do when when the angel asked her to be the mother of God. She, she was so willing. She said, be it done unto me according to thy word. What did she do when, when St. Elizabeth praised her for the great grace that had been given to her to be the mother of God? She, she uttered this, this wonderful hymn where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he that is mighty has done great things to me. Every single mother is able to say that of herself whenever she is, as often as she has conceived a child and participated in this creative power of God um, by giving her the ability to bear life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.